John, did you hear about the thing this morning that everybody already doesn't forgot matter? About? Nothing matters. We always <laughs> we always try to start off with like a topical point of conversation, but we can't because it's already irrelevant by the time the episode comes out. And we, whose fault is that, John? Why is that my fault? Because you're the one that always like. Uh, not to speak too personally on this matter, but you're the one that uh, is going to school and planning a wedding and working nearly full-time, practically full-time for all <laughs> intents and purposes. I believe I said intents and purposes. Yes, that's how I say no, it. No, that's how you should say it. All right. Intense yes. and who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so you have, the, you have the busy schedule and I got to work around that. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we tend to record these on the weekends, and then we put them out midweek. So by the time yes. that happens, you've already forgotten about any MAGA hat-wearing Catholics or anything. So <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, remember when Trump had a uh, address from the Oval Office about the crisis at the border? <laughs> Oh, that was four. That was four years ago. <laughs> well, you could really say any like problem with Trump because yeah. again, it's it's yeah, exactly. they're yeah, so innumerable. Exactly. It's it's just you know it's just white noise. It's just white noise mm-hmm. of this administration. And and it is a problem. I mean, I got beheaded by MS13 yesterday again. Mm, of course, we live in Southern California, so we live in that beastly hellscape that you've heard about on yeah. Fox News. Mm-hmm. Unlike just outside where government workers live, um, <laughs> they live in a version of Mayberry, where uh, their grocers and their banks just like give them out free, free food, free food and supply while the government shutdowns going on, and say like, "Hey, it's totally worth it for point zero 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 four percent of the government's budget." <laughs> I just imagine the conversations they're having around their local town, like, "Oh, gee mm. whiz, Mister Mavis, I can't pay you today, <laughs> but gosh darn it, we need that border wall." <laughs> That's true, Lurleen. <laughs> I understand you're working three jobs just to you know, scrape by. But dadgummit, if only these dang foreigners didn't take your jobs and introduce violence to our poor little community. <laughs> oh, dear. What is Donald Trump going to do with all these obstructionist Democrats? Yeah. Why, are we, why are we even talking about this? This is going to happen in two weeks again. I guess it's true. <laughs> Uh, it's it's all it's all on fire. Just light it all on fire. I don't care anymore. I know. Yes. <laughs> Just let it, watch it all burn. Um, that has nothing to do with the movie we watched this week. No. By the way, John, this is a movie podcast. I don't know if you heard. We should probably we should probably be enabling people to escape the the drudgery of modern day life. So you know what? Let's return let's... them to a peaceful a peaceful existence, like a paradise. Let's yes. take them to a paradise. Oh, but John, human humans and their wicked ways. Oh no, they're sinful. Oh no, sinful ways. Uh, they get banished to just east, of Par- <laughs> just a little, just a little bit to the right of paradise, <laughs> as it were. I think that's the title of the movie we watched. Yes, this week we watched the 1955 film, uh, just outside of paradise. No, nope, sorry, wait, it's <laughs> east of Eden. You won't tell Aaron that she didn't die. No, let's not do anything to hurt Aaron. Get that scar you got on your shoulder, Father. I told you, Cal. It's an old wound I got in the Indian campaigns. Why do you ask that now? What'd she look like? Was she pretty? She had the most lovely hands, like ivory. She took such good care of them. Her mother had arthritis. She was always afraid it would come to her in her hands. Talk to me, Father. I gotta know who I am. I gotta know what I'm like. I gotta know 
Where is she? I'm telling you truthfully, Cal. After she left, I never heard from her. No, it's this side of paradise. Yeah, this side of paradise. <laughs> F. F. Scott Fitzgerald's big debut. <laughs> Wait, so we're watching a movie based on. Wait, so jo- John Steinbeck wrote a book called East yes, of Eden. Yeah, sorry, I, I I referenced another Lost Generation author, <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, who famously said there are no second acts in American life. Um, that's if you're an inveterate alcoholic. Um, however, if you're John Steinbeck, uh, you keep pumping, pumping, and pumping stuff out uh, until you win the Nobel Prize. So, oh wow. I mean, mm-hmm. what what is jo- uh, John Steinbeck's like reputation? I don't I don't picture him as like a drunk, let's say, fair attitude who killed himself when he was like thirty three or something. Was he no. that kind of writer? No, uh, he was a very commercial writer, which I think belies well the fact that it's now required reading in middle schools and high schools all across America. Kind of belies like a commercial aspect to him, uh, even though I think there's a lot of merit to what he was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, I can only speak personally in my literary pretensions. Um, I find his prose as laborious as the poor workers oh. in the Ooh, shots fired, shots fired. Yes. <laughs> Steinbeck, look out! Craig's coming for yes. you. <laughs> of course, Mice and Men is a classic. I mean, come on, mm. everybody remembers of Mice and Men. Of course, Lenny, Lenny look Lenny, at the rabbits. On, yeah. Look at the rabbits. Well, I know. Until he gets shot in the back of the head. I. That's, I that's, was what, that's what Steinbeck wants to do. I will freely admit, I was assigned that book in English class in high school, and I never read it, so. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And obviously you're better for it, John. Oh, okay. There we go. Yes. Nor, I guess, were you ever assigned East of Eden. Few middle schoolers or high schools will, Mm -hmm. uh, even though Steinbeck considered it his magnum opus. Um, Oh. He basically took uh, his uh, environs in the Salinas Valley and applied it to an allegory, the story of Genesis. Hmm. So we have uh, we have Is a, it? I didn't I, see it. <laughs> I didn't see any parallels at all. <laughs> well, speaking of the film, when they when what studio was it? Paramount? Yeah. Yeah. I mean there was only four back then, so just yeah. <laughs> throw a dart. <laughs> well, I'll just say when the movie studio mm-hmm. <laughs> decided to adapt it, they only took the latter half of the story involving the youngins. Mm-hmm. The one that's the allegory for Cain and Abel. You may have missed that those little <laughs> illusions there. Yes, they're Cal and Aaron this time. Yes, more realistic to uh, early twentieth century America. Um, well, I mean, fact, I was going to say part of part of the movie, or part of the like, without even knowing that it's based on a Steinbeck novel, I could tell that it was based on a novel because the mm-hmm. story is very kind of episodic and plotting yeah. and kind of like, oh, it's a slice of life. Look at all this texture, which I wasn't particularly enthralled by. Maybe you had different feelings. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into that, John, this is our also our first exposure. We've been talking too much about Steinbeck, but John, that's not why people are really here. No, no, no. They're, they're here for that sex appeal. Yes. <laughs> this is our first exposure to a young James Dean. Mm-hmm. One of our um, one of our earliest method actors. Yes, and that's uh, James Dean with an A, not the, <laughs> not the James Dean with two E's, which I'm very familiar with. So, mm. <laughs> the extra E stands for extra yeah. sexy. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Yep. Thank you. I'm proud of that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, James Dean was uh, he he was a rising star in Hollywood in the early '50s, and he was a mm. method actor, which basically. Uh, I think by definition gives you carte blanche to be a complete asshole on set. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, so this was a, I wouldn't call, say a revolutionary film, but a lot of elements of what was happening in the acting circles at this point in time. Um, in the 50s, yes, there was this new method called, uh, the literally method called method <laughs> acting, where rather than just pretending, you would try to absorb the psychology of the character by basically going through what they're going through. Um mm 
a clear example like if your character is sleep deprived don't just pretend to be sleep deprived actually you know deprive yourself of sleep um, <laughs> if you know if, if your character feels cold and distant and outside of society you know reflect that in your mannerisms and and actual daily life and so that that was kind of the case and that's what i think drew people to james dean through the audition process is like oh this guy's uh, living his truth <laughs> Uh, there's something about the there's something authentic about the performance that um, actors coming up to the stage who are very performative and histrionic was was missing, mm. um, and I think it really works for film because it is, I think the most realistic you know depiction of art that we can have with real people in real locations, and you know a recording or reflection of it that's similar to how things are staged in real life um, in a way that say uh, the artificiality of a stage can't capture that so. Well, there's also there's also the thing about this film, which probably made it stand out a lot, is again that contrast where you have a lot of mm. old style '50s acting, you know, straight up and you know, enunciate, <laughs> and then you have James Dean on the scene, who's just, you know mumbling, he's crouched, he's just like whatever, who cares? <laughs> yeah. So as you said earlier, when you think of a '50s movie, East of Eden definitely exemplifies a lot of those qualities: uh, mm. slope, slowly paced, um, <laughs> very deliberate uh, in its in its editing and it's staging but what it's not helped by i think is the the fact that literally james dean is in every shot of this movie for all intents and purposes mm -hmm. and from the opening there's really no exposition for his behavior so it's it's midday out in monterey we can see shots of the ocean we see this kind of small not exactly prosperous town and james dean's just kind of stooped over and following this woman and you don't really know what he's up to and if, whatever it is it's really <laughs> suspicious and really bizarre mm -hmm. he's following this woman around who we don't mm -hmm. quite understand their relation quite yet all we know about the woman is the fact that she is uh um, she's she's wealthy. Yep. Well, she's got a nice fancy hat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and she's very standoffish. And uh, I, I wouldn't say she's she's basically Mrs. Potter. Like she's like Mr. Potter, <laughs> but like an old wealthy female dowager. Like that's that's the whole vibe that she's getting off, and that's why I'm having a hard time explaining it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it, it kind of the movie drops you in a little bit on Mord first by James Dean's mannerisms, which I should which I should say. For maybe 1950, it looked very authentic mm. <laughs> compared to like hist the histrionic acting of Laurence Olivier. Um, but like now, you think it's just it's just somewhat off-putting. Same same with this woman who clearly sees that he's following her, but like kind of rebuffs him and ignores him. So we're off on a bad foot here. Mm. Like there's just animus and uh, strangeness kind of permeating the story even though it is um, kind of a, tip, a typical 50s movie in like in the, the very next scene when we see uh, Cal's brother Aaron mm -hmm. and, and, his, and his beloved, his, sweet, his sweetheart <laughs> walking yes. back from school with their books in hand <laughs> and a song in their heart. How come you did it? Did what? Shot my father. Did he tell you that? <laughs> How come you ran away from all of us? How come you shot him, ran away, and did all that I shot him because he tried to stop me. I could have killed him if I'd wanted to, but I didn't. I just wanted him to let me go. Why? Because, because he tried to hold me. He wanted to tie me down. He wanted to keep me on a stinking little ranch away from everybody, keep me all to himself. Well, nobody holds me. 
But he loved you. Love. He wanted to own me. He wanted to bring me up like a, like a snot-nosed kid and tell me what to do. Well, nobody tells me what to do. Always so right himself, knowing everything. Reading the Bible at me. What are you grinning at? Nothing. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, huh? <laughs> Always so right himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe like you said out there, maybe you are more like me. Huh? I mean, that's the other kind of weird thing is the fact that, yes, it's still very much a 50s movie and, mm -hmm. you know, James Dean is meant to be playing this bad boy, but he's still wearing, like, a perfectly a perfectly well-kept sweater and he's got a pocket watch. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> who are you fooling? <laughs> you know, there's only so much you can kind of get away with to kind of show the rebellious attitude of this kid. And I guess the other thing, yeah. too, is you mentioned the fact that we're kind of brought in in media size rest, but you're like, you mentioned that this is actually based on the second half of East of Eden, the yeah. uh, John Steinbeck novel, which I didn't know that going in. So, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense why we're not. A but I'm also kind of appreciative of the fact that it doesn't bother setting you. It just kind of drops you here in this little sleepy town. And it's like, all right, figure out all the confrontations and conflicts from here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have preferred the first scene or sorry, there's a scene following so we don't we kind of have to infer that James Dean is a bad boy it's not until when he intentionally sabotages his father's uh, ice empire mm -hmm. um, that we see that yeah he's, he's pretty rebellious um, and his and brother kind of out of brothers. nowhere we're not really given a reason for it like you said no he yeah. just kind of does it just because he's bored <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's bored yeah he's bored or he doesn't like a, he's, he's seeking his father's approval yet mm -hmm. he acts out in that way in a way that would just piss off his father so yeah. there's also <laughs> um, the matter again, of well, you know, we, we the father's in the picture, but where's the yeah. mother? Mm. <laughs> so, I yes, uh, generally we appreciate like being dropped in the middle of the story, in the middle of the drama, and then we have to collect uh, collect all the information from there. Um, from for this particular movie, I didn't actually like it though. I felt it just felt like off for the first ten minutes. Um, it's not until after this rebellious act they sit down at night. And it's Cal and Aaron and his father. And they're going to read scripture to make sure that Cal is set straight. <laughs> and I thought, this is where the story should have started. Because this is what the movie's really about. And it's Cal seeking his father's approval. There's another great little rebellious scene. It's not out of nowhere, um, like the ice thing. It's um, he's reciting. He's reciting scripture. His father tells him, you don't have to read the numbers. And he's still like, you know, verse 8. <laughs> That's great. And it's also the first instance when Ilya Kazan... Uh, legendary director of like on the waterfront bunch of movies uh ratted out all his communist friends in hollywood but that's that's not even right there <laughs> this this is also like the first time it feels like he's directing or doing something different with the camera because then we start to see dutch angles and the camera's finally oh, yeah. reflecting the the off-kilter nature of this uh, father and son relationship a lot of dutch angles <laughs> a lot of dutch angles I, i'm sorry is it better than the than the wide shots of people just standing moving around <laughs> i guess that's also true but again you get all those beautiful scenic vistas in cinemascope <laughs> this is true i guess i mean you have to admit this movie does look gorgeous but maybe again, oh yeah it's it's because again it's 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 worthy of being preserved they've really touched it up over the years or something like that that's something i always wonder revisiting these old classics is like how often have they just been preserved really well and so that's why it looks as good as it did like what was it like actually watching it in the 1950s i don't know if one day I'll build a time machine, that's the one thing I'll do with the time machine. I'll go back and watch East of Eden in the theaters. <laughs> yes, you'll watch it with uh, James Dean, the only movie he saw of his when he was alive. Oh. <laughs> so should we talk more about James Dean's performance? 
because uh, th- th- there's one thing I want to mention, which is like I I find that this method of acting either really works for you or it doesn't. And uh, there's one piece of trivia I want to share about this movie. This is Ryan Gosling's favorite movie of all time, <laughs> which of course it fucking is. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he's seen the the finished cut of Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> okay. Now is a different. That was a different all-time favorite movie, but <laughs> you can't pick your own movie as your all-time favorite. That's ridiculous. I know it's true. That's true. <laughs> ego on that guy. Anyway, <laughs> ego. Yeah, but um, like I kept thinking about you know Ryan Gosling and then to a lesser extent you know Edward Cullen from the Twilight movies. Yes. Um, you know, there's this whole kind of like moody, you know, silent, strong type of acting that men can kind of get away with. And mm-hmm. the reaction people get out of it is either, you know, it's like, oh, my God, he's, he's, his body language and his face just conveys worlds. Or that half the time he's just like, you're just a stiff nothing. You're, there's nothing going on in you with you right now. <laughs> and I fell into the latter category watching James Dean in this film. I don't know about you. I, yeah, I, I could kind of, maybe it's because I have that, that, in, that background information was floating around in my head of like he's he's being a method actor he's trying to reflect and I'm glad you brought that up like masculinity mm-hmm. like I'm sure like also like every actor was, was told was told like sit up straight and you know <laughs> enunciate and you know use your <laughs> diaphragm and here's an actor who's completely ignoring all of that and really trying to capture this um this brooding rebelliousness mm-hmm. and so like that was in the back of my mind but you're right it is still in spite of that it is still like a very showy performance um, I don't think it's helped by the director and camera camera people actually wanting to like shove the ooh we've got a bright star in, on our hands let's give him like close-ups <laughs> and you know I, I don't think he was done any favors there I'm glad you mentioned some other like some other hot young actors like Ryan Gosling and uh, I don't know Robert Pattinson like other young actors who brood and want to imitate James Dean you know what you want to know who I was reminded of um, another huge admirer of James Dean and that's one Tommy Wiseau oh okay because <laughs> it's not just about the brooding and it's not just about you know the the weird haunched you know interior life it's also about the big yeah. explosion of emotion <laughs> yes <laughs> Well, not not only that, I think it's also the body language, and it's kind of to maybe understand something, you also have to see it done badly. No, okay. <laughs> and the fact that I've seen it done badly in the in the life of uh, in, in uh, the classic film, The Room, mm-hmm. I I kind of have this also like appreciation, like okay, I kind of I kind of understand the performance. I I may not enjoy it all the time, especially when the story's not doing it any favors. Mm-hmm. Like from the opening scene, when I don't know what the characters want or what their relation is to each other yet I don't understand it and the performance is just putting me off whereas in a scene later where it's his father and the son and you know they're trying to gain each other's attention or affection or what what have you like now I understand it and now I appreciate it so really I thought it was more like contextual yeah that's fair that's fair maybe maybe we should make it contextual in the relationship with uh, his older brother or is it twin, his twin brother? Well, sorry. Technically, <laughs> they're brother. twins. I always got the sense yeah. that um, Aaron was the older one, just based on level of maturity. But Yes, the um, one that he I has th- his father's favor. Yes. and well, I, But isn't Cain the older one initially? I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> Greg, sure. where's your Bible study? <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I've got to, all right, I'm bringing out the Bible. I'm going to make you read it. <laughs> okay, verse 6. <laughs> oh, you show respect, young man. <laughs> By Zeus's beard. <laughs> Actually, can I can I comment? Can I compliment that performance? Uh, their father's name. Their father's name is Adam. In case you missed any of those um, connections. 
<laughs> and he's played by Raymond Massey, and that performance I actually really liked because um, mm. it seemed to combine this. Uh, th- there was like a certain uh, restraint to it um, that maybe you wouldn't expect. So I, d- I don't want to. I, d- I, d- I reject your notion that it's played uh, ridiculous and, and over the top when really I, I respect the restraint performance put in uh, by Cal and Aaron's father. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think the I think the thing that's also coloring my opinion is the fact that this is still very much, even though it is more artfully done than your average '50s fair, um, mm-hmm. it does feel like it's kind of giving that kind of standard moralizing, where it's like, yes, of course, read the Bible and be a upstanding good mm-hmm. citizen, um, <laughs> you know, classic like McCarthyism or something like that. Um, yeah, obviously, the story doesn't uh, completely go in that direction. Um, that's actually kind of the one thing that confuses me. So it's like the first act we're set up for. Cal to kind of be this rebellious uh, kid who's acting out mm-hmm. and then he kind of tries to get his father's approval by becoming like his own little entrepreneur he starts investing in bean futures because you know the the theory is that you know once uh, you know America enters WW1 against the Kaiser <laughs> uh, the Great War John <laughs> the Great War to war George <laughs> yes <laughs> the Jews hadn't revealed that there was a second world war coming later so. okay got it you I know, apologize. That great, that great media narrative. That great media narrative. They're always feeding yeah. you. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, he he invests in some bean futures, and yeah. this is a way to pay his father back for you know I guess all the ice he's you know ruined and you know the lettuce that unfortunately was ruined in the train ride as well. That's another yeah. kind of factor. Um, you know, Cal doesn't get blamed for that, but you know obviously he wants to make it up to his father. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know there's that whole and he does tried he he eventually gets the money and then his father rebuffs him he says like i'm not taking this yeah but then the story kind of reorients itself and gets more focused on the cal and aaron relationship yeah that's what's kind of missing is like we see there's not enough if you want to make this a cain and abel story there's got to be way more interaction between cal and aaron Mm-hmm. Um, like the whole crux of the Cain and Abel story is that one one brother is just insanely jealous and driven to violence and murder. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there's really none of that. Um, the only thing, the only wedge between them really is th- the fact that well, I don't know, maybe the maybe the actor who played Aaron just wasn't available enough or something. <laughs> but the only potential for a web between them is uh, Aaron's beloved Abra. Mm-hmm. Played by Julie Harris, um, who's at least ten years older than either Cal or Aaron. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't talk to you this way, Cal. I shouldn't, but I don't know who else to talk to. And, and sometimes I think I'm really bad. And sometimes I don't know what to think. Well, Aaron will knock that out of you. Willie, he? he's got to. Well, the way I figure it out. Aaron never having had a mother, well, he's made her everything good that he can think of, and and that's what he thinks I am, and that's what he's in love with. It's not me at all, because I'm not a bit like that in the one, not a bit. I don't mean I think I'm really bad. Look at that star. It must be a planet that's so bright. I'm a But that girl's waiting for you down there somewhere. Well, she can just wait. She was pretty. Uh, like uh, Birth of a Nation or The Jazz Singer. 
<laughs> which uh, classics though they are, they do have some very problematic elements. Mm -hmm. I think we should regard East of Eden the same way in the way this female character is written. Mm. I started to transcribe every one of her lines because literally every line is about the men in her life. <laughs> uh, so you're saying this doesn't pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> no, no. Far as as literally as far from it as possible. <laughs> I believe it opens with like her asking Aaron like what's Cal doing what's what's he about <laughs> and then her asking Cal like does Aaron really love me <laughs> and then her telling Cal I really like your father <laughs> like literally every line of hers no internal or external life literally she is completely defined by the men around her and it's mm. one of the most embarrassing portraits of uh, of fictional women I've ever seen <laughs> Well, or the patriarchy, yeah. I, I think uh, I do want to push back against that because we do actually yeah. get a portrait of a strong female character in this movie. That's Spoiler true. alert, guys. Turns out the lady he was following, that's actually his mother. Uh, Adam has spun a tale that their birth mother is dead when, a matter of fact, she's running a brothel and casino. <laughs> She, like Eve, has introduced sin into the world <laughs> with, her exactly. har with her Jezebel ways. <laughs> Women blamed for everything, but yeah, I mean, exactly. I kind of rightfully, rightfully blamed for everything. <laughs> I kind of like the performance because, in a certain way, it's also empowering. She was kind of, yeah, you know, like her whole reason for leaving and kind of striking out on her own is she's like, "I'm not going to be a doting housewife. I'm not going to mm. be his pet," you know. So I kind of was like, "Oh, this is a kind of surprising that you know, like a movie that's so dated in its values would kind of." Again, there is that whole kind of like den of sin and intrigue um, mm -hmm. aspect to it. But I, I, you know, I don't think the movie kind of hates the character. Um, we don't really get kind of a resolution of what ends up happening to her in a kind of final bout between uh, Aaron and mm -hmm. Cal. Aaron finally gets like the revelation that this is his mother. And, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a confrontation, but we, that all kind of happens off screen. And we never really know the fate of Cal's mother. No, um, there, there's a inkling of a violent confrontation and mm -hmm. like it, it doesn't happen as literally as you know <laughs> Cal bringing Aaron out to a field and you know <laughs> blowing a rock and smacking a rock over his head and <laughs> mm -hmm. he does say I uh, what am I my brother's keeper um, in case yeah. you missed in case you missed the literal text hey um, wait a minute <laughs> is this based on a bible story <laughs> oh, I'm glad you mentioned that I yeah I don't think I don't think it the film absolutely fawns over her but you're right. It's not exactly judgmental about uh, the fact that she ran away, and kind of announces her her intentions for doing so, and why she wants to ignore that part of her life, including her two children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it definitely got the approval of Hollywood because as we're as we're starting a theme of Oscar-winning movies, um, <laughs> the woman who played uh, the, their mother, Jo Van Fleet, won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. So. Hey. And she's in, yeah, so, she's not even in it all that much. She's really only in it for like three to four scenes. So. Yes. I, I um I chalk that up to one every every year before or let's say this every Oscar year <laughs> um not the strongest supporting actress uh, roles are written How so not you. the strongest performances yeah <laughs> or not a, not a huge library of roles to choose from <laughs> How dare you And then B yes and then B Hollywood obviously approves of this harlot harlotry that she <laughs> that she enacts in <laughs> creating this den of sin and trying to be financially independent away from her man. Unbelievable. Exactly. Just, just plain wrong. Of course Hollywood would support that. 
I mean, and the big kind of uh, climax of that confrontation is it's it's Aaron who's kind of like loses it emotionally and ends up yeah. just hopping a train and enlisting in the <laughs> war. <laughs> yes, instead of having Cal literally murder Aaron, mm. and I'm not sure this is how the circumstance of the book, he somehow like sentences him to death by driving him crazy with this revelation about his birth mother, and that for that and that motivates him to go enlist. Mm-hmm. And he he's obviously lost his mind. He cracks his head through the train window and laughs maniacally as his dad at his dad <laughs> as, he, as the train pulls out of the station. Mm-hmm. Again, very subtle stuff. Um, <laughs> actually, I should say I I did admire that because the the scene where it's finally revealed that or when uh, Cal reunites with his mother um, that should be a hugely dramatic scene. Instead, it laborious it takes place over the course of like 10 minutes in her office um mm-hmm. not a lot not a lot of dramatic there so i did like when the when the score got when the movie just got a little out of whack mm-hmm. <laughs> as was the case here and also as was the case um when as you mentioned earlier uh their dad adam does rebuff um cal's attempt to um pay him back the the money he lost for the uh freight train mm-hmm. um he lost, he lost all his money on the lettuce trying to refrigerate it, getting it across the ocean. Um, and the way he acts out and rebels against that is revealing that their birth mother was in fact alive and driving his brother Aaron crazy. Mm-hmm. And I like this confrontation. He's out on the swing in the backyard, <laughs> and the camera is literally like swinging along with him. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that they at least like tried to be a little off kilter or <laughs> try something at least a little different. Granted, it was very minimal. Mm-hmm. There are those Dutch angles in this scene where it's tries to the camera kind of follows along with his with his movement but um you know i i admire the attempt (laughs) (laughs) look when you're filming that was like imax back in the day so those cameras were very heavy (laughs) yes (laughs) but it's also amazing how like looking at film criticism we could say like oh like that's that's good but it's not enough like here but it's also like oh it's it's nice that they did that you know like mm-hmm. I, so where, john where do you fall on it i mean overall did you like east of eden did you like the performances like what how did you feel about it um i'll give it a i'll give it the most damning with fine praise i can give which mm-hmm. is it's fine it's all fine <laughs> uh, i feel like we say that every episode <laughs> i know it's unfortunately that's take a, kind take of a how strong the chips stance fall. on something <laughs> i know it's kind of how the chips fall because on the one hand, it's not execrable. Like, obviously, it's not painful to watch, but it's also not no. engaging enough for me to be like, uh... I mean, there's uh, there's a few bright spots, but uh, other than that, I don't know. Like, I mean, it has gotten me interested in maybe exploring a little more James Dean, just to kind of see what's 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 the, what's the <laughs> well, you don't you don't have kid. a whole lot. To, yeah, you don't have a whole lot more to explore. There's only literally two <laughs> other movies. <laughs> oh dear, maybe that's why I'm interested. And it's like, oh, I don't have too much homework to do. All right, yeah. good. <laughs> but again, yeah, I mean. I part of the reason I think this movie does probably endure is the fact that it's one of James Dean's three roles, and obviously he kind of lit the world on fire when he was in and d- died tragically. So obviously there's yeah. that whole backstory. So mm-hmm. I, you know, as for I, the movie itself, yeah, sadly I don't know if it it lives up to classic status. Yeah, it, it does have too many trappings of. I should say it's it's probably incredibly hard for a movie to entertain an audience ten years later, much less mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sixty to seventy years later, but. Yeah, that's kind of the case here. I guess it, it makes more sense if you're a film historian and you want to see like method acting in practice. Um, if you want to catch up on the filmography of Ilya Kazan and how he ratted out his friends <laughs> back in Hollywood. 
He, did he rat out Trumbo? <laughs> yes, I believe he did. <laughs> oh, okay. Good Although, yes. yes. I mean, I always assumed Trumbo was so outspoken about it, he didn't, he didn't need to be ratted out, but no, uh, that's true. what do I know? <laughs> yeah. I know nothing of Hollywood. Look, I can't find any coffee. Get out! Yeah, it's it's another one of those like artifacts. Like maybe if you if you have the free time and the inclination, maybe like like that museum exhibit you've been you've been dying to attend. <laughs> <laughs> you can you have the free time to see it, but yeah, I don't I wouldn't say seek it out or mm. you know if if uh, the whole the the Library of Congress um, there isn't enough space in the Library of Congress anymore, and they got to push some stuff out. I'm willing to. <laughs> I don't Take know why, but I just pictured like Noah's Ark, except it's like movies. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, oh, that'll happen. That'll happen. The years, the weather keeps getting hotter and hotter. So, okay. Uh, do we, we keep East of Eden or Rebel Without a Cause? Ah, uh, decisions. <laughs> yes. yes. Soon DC will be underwater, God willing. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> it's a swamp already. Am I right, yeah, folks? I... Am I right? Look at Lenny Bruce over here. Lighting the world on fire with this hot take. But thank you also for the very contemporary Lenny Bruce reference. Shut up. I've been watching a lot of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, so, you know. Okay, yeah. You're in that 50s mindset. Of course. Hot crackers. Yes. Have you heard this, Mrs. Maisel? Yes. I'm sorry, John. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Wait a second. Did you just reference something that you're watching now that you really enjoyed and would like other people to enjoy it as well? <laughs> well, I think that's a perfect segue into our signature segment. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say we should have a uh, we should end every show dedicated to recommending something so that people at least get something out of this. Um, of course, two idiots <laughs> blathering for about thirty minutes. Yeah, this is why Spotlight is so important because most again, like sadly, guys, half the time it's like, yeah, the movie's okay. So now we have to enthusiastically <laughs> talk about yes. something. So John, do you want to enthuse about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Well, if you're going to give the game away, then yes. I've been watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And it is a very fun show. It is Mm -hmm. a very great, comforting show. And it's probably one of the best shows I've ever seen if you don't take a second to think about it whatsoever. (laughs) Because critically, if you actually stop and think about it, it does not hold up whatsoever. Okay, so, John. John, this is the first criticism I've heard of it at all, other than the fact that it stars a woman who should be at home <laughs> doing her chores and keeping the household upright. So, the premise. Summer yes. of 1958. Mm. Mrs. Maisel and her husband 
Dave. You know, Dave is a Dave works a, a financial job. That's kind of the fun, like part of the comedic aspect is that you you don't really know what Dave does. <laughs> he just kind of like works in an office, and you know, he's just he's, like yeah, he's, I mean, he's a man in a gray suit. I'm assuming. Exactly. Get those credentials. <laughs> um, he, but he, you know, he has the dream of being a, 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 a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. So every night he goes out with his loving and supporting wife, Minge Maisel. You know, he mm-hmm. goes up every night to very little success. Um, it's and it's funny, like it's obviously uh, Miss Maisel is the one who's actually much more invested. She's actually taking notes and she's telling him how he can change things. She's the one who's obviously the professional. Mm-hmm. And after one particular night, he just bombs so spectacular. He gives up on just his dream of being a comedian and basically their marriage. He admits that he's been having an affair. He admits that he's not happy. You know, again, he, it goes back to also his job. It's like, do you know what I do for a living? I don't know either. I just sit up there and I, I push papers around. I'm the vice president of what? No, God knows what. <laughs> and so basically he leaves her with the two kids. This yeah. causes, uh, you know, Miss Maisel obviously does the best, healthiest thing she can do. She leaves her house, gets drunk, and ends up back at the club where he bombed spectacularly. Mm-hmm. And she goes up and kills with her friend uh, slash new manager, Susie, played by the brilliant Alex Borstein. They set off on uh, on her new found career and love of stand-up comedy. But mm-hmm. a woman stand-up comedian in the 1950s? Oh, shudder the thought. I know. I, I wish you, I had a camera on me because it just went scanners in here. My head exploded. <laughs> So yeah, it's a very it's a very fun show. It's very light. It's very airy. The production design is obviously brilliant. You know, it really capture or it captures that great TV you know movie spirit of the 1950s. Everyone's in poodle skirts, and you know, mm-hmm. um, the reason why I brought up Lenny Bruce is because Lenny Bruce is actually kind of a reoccurring character. He's obviously at the top of his game, and everyone yeah. wants to be Lenny Bruce. Like, and you know, so he's popping in, giving her advice and stuff like that. But again, the minute you think about this show critically, it kind of falls apart because the idea is that. Uh oh, uh oh, John, John, it sounds like you're going to write a slate piece. The problematic Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> Kind of, because the whole idea is that she is absolutely perfect. She, you know, mm. keeps a tight body. She's, you know, and she ta- and you know, she talks about all the duties she has as a wife. But the idea is that she has two kids, and they are not part of her life whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> like part of her comedy, which, by the way, is way too contemporary. If we actually, mm. like, if it was actually genuine, it, you know, she wouldn't be talking like this whatsoever. She'd be doing a bit like, oh, what if Abe Lincoln met, you know, the Ayatollah? And it might go something like this. But instead, she's got, a, you know, she's got a very contemporary style, which is way too ahead of its time and getting mm. way too much appreciation. I mean, maybe it's the fact that, you know, they try to, like, present stand-up comedy back in the 50s as, like, this kind of, like, underground hit thing. You know, like, Mm -hmm. part of the reason why she becomes so popular is because, like, someone makes a bootleg of that initial drunk stand-up set that she does. (laughs) And it's marked... Exactly. (laughs) A bootleg. (laughs) In record form. And, you know, it's... No, I'm picturing a guy in the back cranking the film. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first ever viral video in 1955. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then to also, you know, uh, mark her great, you know, comedian bona fides, she gets... uh, arrested that night for obscenity charges just of like course. her hero, just like Lenny Bruce did yes um but again like you know her her whole stand up set is you know way too contemporary it's about you know why are women expected to do everything why are women expected to be perfect and yet she's mm-hmm. like the shittiest mom on the planet <laughs> she's going up <laughs> at 2 in the morning every night working on her stand up set and the other thing too is like 
you know, for the first couple episodes, they, you know, show how much work she puts in. But also, like, so many episodes are so contrived that she, Mm -hmm. like, you know, gets up there and crushes. So it's like, well, obviously, she's just so naturally gifted. She doesn't have to work hard at all. Like, yes, we have the episode based around the fact that she bombed and how does she bounce back from that. But it's like every other instance after that, it's like we never see her work on the material. She just gets up there and she's amazing. So... (laughs) And then there's kind of the fact that, you know, a lot of the drama and the comedy revolves around the fact that, you know, now that she's divorced from her husband or at least separated, I don't know if they actually ever make it official, um, mm-hmm. she has to move in with her parents, uh, played by the great Tony Shalhoub and Marnie Hinkle, I think is her name. Yeah, Marnie Hinkle. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Tony Shalhoub. Um, this is this is like a, the sitcom setup where you have like a 40-year-old actor and a 25-year-old wife. Tony Shalhoub <laughs> is not old enough to play a, a, a mensch dad like this. Oh, Greg, are you, are you kidding? It, he's, he's way outside his comfort zone, okay? Mm. Tony Shalhoub is playing a persnickety, particular, stubborn man who just needs to have his way and can't handle anything outside of his comfort zone. So it's an unexpected performance from Mr. Shalhoub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've never seen him play a role like this before. <laughs> no. Um, the other aspect of the show... What was it... that show he was on for 10 years? <laughs> Nobody remembers? No one. And who, who cares? <laughs> I know you remember because it's one of your favorite shows. <laughs> oh, yes. The best, ten... <laughs> the, the best one, one joke show ever. Oh, made. shut up. <laughs> it was a procedural. It was fun. Start solving mysteries. Solving murders. It's great. Um... <laughs> The other aspect of the show, which it minds a lot of comedy of, and you can also tell this is probably why I love it, it is an extremely Jewish show. <laughs> so many jokes, all these mentions. Interesting. I, I, I joked, I made an anti-Semitic joke earlier. I apologize. So. <laughs> but it, that is curious. I, I didn't know that it, uh, Judaism was such a big part of its uh, identity. And same with the Amazon's other hit show, Transparent. Mm. And so I'm wondering, like, um, maybe that's just something they see in the creators or... It's reflecting the identity of the the boss who is rubber stamping and approving these kind of quality shows. So I don't know. I mean, I I don't want to speculate. <laughs> okay. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you should cut that out. I just I I earnestly wanted to ask the question. No. Oh God. I shouldn't phrase it that way. <laughs> it's fine. We'll just gl- glance past it. Glance past yes, it. Yes. 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 No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing these two shows have a have a strict identity. And they're not like movies that are trying to appeal to like 50 different audiences around the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, I, but again, like I can't speak to the authenticity of it all because it does feel like a very kind of cartoonish representation of mm. the 1950s. I mean, I don't know if it's the, like, you know, Mad Men was, you know, oh, it's so meticulous. Look at all the books on the bookshelf. They're all actual, you know, contemporary authors and stuff like that. I don't know if... They're really going for that. Obviously, the sexism is a, a big component of the show as well. Mm-hmm. But um, the overt cultural sexism—not like not like the show is promoting the sexism. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not promoting the sexism, but obviously, it's a yeah. very uh, strong reoccurring theme of the show. You know, the fact that she's the under underestimated because she's a female comedian. You know, there's mm. this uh, there's this one particular episode where she meets a fellow female comedian uh, played by Jane Lynch. And, mm-hmm. you know, she kind of gives her the advice. It's like, you need to be a broad caricature. You can't be your authentic self. No one wants to see that. You're too pretty. <laughs> what do you sing? <laughs> so, yeah, okay, it's a so, fun show. So, just not, think as, about not it as hard. perfect as maybe as the critics of the. Uh, no, just an awards. Uh, well, again, uh, it's collide. brilliant if you just don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute, John. So, you're saying you want to critically look at everything. I mean, mm-hmm. is there anything wrong with just, say, uncritically enjoying a show? 
I mean, no. I, I think there's nothing wrong with uh, enjoying a show on the very surface level. I just, mm-hmm. I think with the struggle with this one is that obviously it has more uh, ambitions to be more than that. Mm-hmm. So for it to be kind of really as shallow as it all and to, uh, ultimately ends up being, I think is a little disappointing. Oh, I see. Yeah, exactly. So, so. obviously it has ambitions of being this like feminist creation. Exactly. However, there's still some, there's still some elements like say to her, her existent motherhood that they wrote into the show. Yeah. Talking about <laughs> not saying, Talking about the yeah. times, you know. It is. Yes. Not say, not saying that it's a requirement, but it's something that should be like acknowledged or enhance the drama a little bit. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, overall, though, it sounds like it's a show worth watching. I mean. Yeah, but no, check it out because you'll obviously okay. have a good time. I don't. I right. like don't don't let that criticism dissuade you from watching it because it's it's a yeah. great show and it's a great time. You'll okay. have fun. It's fun. It's fun. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I hope my uh, spotlight will persuade you to see this particular film, even if the Academy did not see its its iridescent brilliance. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Greg's going there. Greg's going. <laughs> yes. I'm not talking about Pacific Rim Uprising, my favorite film of 2018. <laughs> and of all time, talk- as far as I'm yes. concerned. Yes. <laughs> yes. I am talking about a damn good movie <laughs> directed by uh, one of our new favorite directors, Barry Jenkins. Oh, I saw If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, his follow-up to Moonlight. Look at yes, you. our favorite movie. It was 2016, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, like like Moonlight, I mean, it has a lot of the same touches. So obviously I like uh, If Beale Street Could Talk in, in a lot of the same respects as I did Moonlight. Um, if if I were to compare the two films, though, um, If Beale Street Could Talk isn't as good, and I wanted to kind of parse out maybe why the Academy Awards um, did not honor it with a, a best picture nomination um outside of the reasons that uh, it has all black people in it so <laughs> i'm kidding of course they they, they nominated black well Panther they just love the black gays Clayton. any gay story yes. they'll just you know slobber up like ah, wah, wah. <laughs> give me that diak uh, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> bro no there's none of that there's, there's none of that in if field street could talk totally had a real movie so <laughs> oh thank goodness <laughs> yeah you could feel comfortable watching it um this is obviously based on uh, a novel by James Baldwin. Uh, it centers on a romance uh, by Trish and Fanny. Um, Trish is played by, uh, they're both played by newcomers. Um, Trish is played by Kiki Lane, and uh, Fanny is played by Stephen James, uh, who, I, who has actually been in some stuff. But mm-hmm. it centers on their romance, and um, they move in together, but they actually conceive a child before they marry. Um, and so initially, that's what it seems like the story is going to be, like this uh, Montague and Capulets, because their two families don't exactly get along mm-hmm. um, in what is my favorite scene of the year. Maybe my favorite scene of all time. <laughs> um, they have a meeting uh, between the two families to announce this unexpected pregnancy. Um, the two patriarchs of the family are having a great time. They love it. But it turns out that uh, Fanny's parents, or, or sorry, Fanny's mother and her two sisters have had a religious conversion and are now very like ultra conservative um christians mm-hmm. and um so it, it it all goes off with the question of um so who's going to raise this baby <laughs> <laughs> and, and let me tell you it gets raw real fast so oh, dear. <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> Which one does Regina so, King? Fo- That's all I care about. Is yeah. I, need, I need me my Regina King fix. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, Regina King. Well, uh, Regina, she is the king. She's the queen. She's the best. Um, <laughs> here, uh, she's she's not given as much to play as I as I wanted. So she plays Trisha's mother, and she's uh, very supportive immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's garnered all the award attention here is that um, like Mursala Ali's character in Moonlight is just like a good supportive character that kind of warms your heart. I mean, not, not exactly, um, like not exactly challenging in a way, I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't, um, she maybe doesn't have to give her like her trademark screaming <laughs> as in say, uh, my favorite performance of her is enemy of the state, but <laughs> where she goes toe to toe with Will Smith and dominates him in several, in several instances. <laughs> but, um, where, where the twist in the story is that, um, they they conceive this child, but then uh, Fani is framed for rape, mm-hmm. and so basically it, he didn't commit the crime. It's it's obviously both it's obvious both in the novel and in the narration provided by Trish that he did not commit the crime. Um, however, basically Trish's family now has to find a way for to get him out of prison. Mm-hmm. And so this is where Regina King's character really comes into her own. Is like she's trying to find the victim who lied um, about. Uh, pointing out Fani in the lineup that it was him committing the rape when obviously he didn't do it. The fathers have to have to start hustling in order to raise the money to get to get to pay the lawyer to get him out of prison. Mm-hmm. So it's really building this great pot pot boiler. But I think the problem is maybe in how the movie was conceived to be based on Baldwin's novel <laughs> is that it, all this kind of ends with a whimper. Hmm. I, yeah, so, I see. I was kind of surprised that you started describing it as a pot boiler because going off the trailers, uh, it certainly doesn't feel like it. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Um, I should, yeah. Before, before I, before I spoil anything, I, actually, I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> I've, I've already given the game away, but it's kind of like a cross between Moonlight and a more conventional kind of movie. Uh, Moonlight obviously has these great poetic sequences to reflect this young man growing up. The in if Beale Street could talk, it's kind of it cuts between regular dramatic scenes played shot reverse shot and other more lyrical scenes, kind of portraying their their young love, mm-hmm. the young love between these two characters. So, like obviously, like Barry Jenkins has the, squ- the skills to literally like sweep you away off your feet um, <laughs> with his with his just incredible with incredible cinematography and a score. Like that's all fantastic, but it's kind of the other half of it. The dramatics don't really add up to enough. And it's kind of it's kind of the same too with um, I want to compare this to two other films that competed with Barry Jenkins films for awards. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2016, it was Manchester by the Sea, and this year it's Roma. Now those are two films that are like designed to rip your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's clear from these two films, like Barry Jenkins, I don't think wants to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Like he'd rather again like sweep you off your feet in either the the romance or the tumult of say like growing up or injustice in the world, but like none of the stakes feel or none of the drama gets pitched that high mm-hmm. uh so maybe that's why it, it didn't I, I think it didn't make as big an impact as it could have and didn't get the awards attention or didn't you know garner my love the way that moonlight did mm. um but that said it's still one of the better films i've seen this year um probably one of the best films you're going to see this year so uh while it's still in theaters uh before it gets uh, shoved out by uh the favorite and black Klansman and all the other best picture nominees <laughs> go check it out <laughs> I mean, I I was kind of surprised it didn't garner more attention because obviously it was on a bunch of uh, people's best of lists. But sadly, yeah, yeah, obviously Oscar Oscar races are something completely different. So, <laughs> um, I I kind of surprised that you were so surprised knowing. Uh, again, I was going in, 
I I haven't seen it yet, but going in, I would expect mm-hmm. it. It's very much like Moonlight, very poetic, very mm-hmm. uh, kind of lyrical, but again, kind of ending on a disappointing kind of like whimpery note, kind of like how Moonlight ended as well. I mean, it was very, you know, kind of potent the way it ended and also kind of perfect. But again, it's yeah. not the big dramatic thing that you think it's setting it up to be. So No, yeah, there isn't like a like a big violent confrontation. Um, instead, I say like realism. It, Which is kind of what Moonlight seemed like it was setting you up for as well. So, you know. Yeah. He's got he's got a few tricks to this bow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but again, not to spoil anything else. I mean, maybe skip ahead a few minutes if you if you don't want to hear this. But mm-hmm. like Moonlight, maybe that's maybe it's because it's a story we hadn't really seen before committed to film. Like this ex-convict, you know, reconnecting with an old friend, and what his you know kind of revealing himself in that way. Like that was unexpected. Here, it's as James Baldwin narrates suggests. Fonny basically takes a plea deal mm. <laughs> and has to spend a few more years in prison and watching, unfortunately watching his son grow up through prison visits mm-hmm. so like it, again like that's what that's what it all amounted to with all this like okay how are we going to convince the the victim the rape victim to, to retract her statement and how are we going to pay for the lawyer like none of that or none of that really comes to a head so instead it just kind of ends with ends on a downer kind of again realistic ending in the way that all these stories of injustice do um mm-hmm. or at least as it they did in the, in the 70s so Again, that was kind of a disappointment. Not that not that I wanted there to be like a to be dishonest and have it end in like a shootout <laughs> or in the a saccharine happy ending where, you know, they're reunited out outside the jail or something. No, I knew I, I knew going in it wasn't gonna end like that. <laughs> no, but come on, it's a James Baldwin story. <laughs> yes. And justice was served. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that said, it is worth it for those lyrical passages, like those those great montages and that, that score that will literally lift your feet off the floor. So Okay. At, at least go see it for that. All right. I, yeah. all I don't right. know. I'll go to the art house and I'll do it. <laughs> I, don't, I can't remember if it's an A24 movie, so if it will be a free on Canopy mm. any one of these days. Sorry, free with your library card. You do have to schlep to the library and <laughs> sign up for a card. I know. Impossible, right? <laughs> I thought you had to be like in New York or LA or one of the big metropolitan. I don't know if my Sandy my my poor weak San Diego card will work, but I haven't tried. Really? So. Talk about talk about classist. <laughs> like, oh, you have to be in one of these big expensive metropolitan. Oh, of areas, course. You have to go really to the pl- you have to you have to live in the cities where all the big movies are already playing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. I again, I don't. I haven't looked into Canopy too much. We should be using it more often. Indeed, we should, because um, mm-hmm. we don't want to spend any more money on <laughs> renting movies uh, for you. Because uh, that's what we're doing, fans. Mm-hmm. Fans. What am I saying? That's what we're doing, uh, listeners, or people who have stumbled on the show. <laughs> we don't make a dime from this podcast. No, we are giving our time and money to basically say that films are okay and whether they're <laughs> worth your time. <laughs> See, guys, the difference is we get paid in attention, which is just as good as money on on the internet. So, yes, you can help us out by going to social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, and liking and following our pages there. And if you have any specific feedback on the show that you want to share, that's more than 280 characters or a <laughs> Facebook post <laughs> that can be uh, taken by Russians later, mm-hmm. go ahead and send us an email. Yes. Although your email will probably be uh, sent to the Russians anyway, or advertisers. But <laughs> go ahead, send us your missives, uh, what you thought of East of Eden. Uh, recommend a movie that maybe you want us to look at. Um, see if it's worthy of that classic status. Mm-hmm. We're taking comments and recommendations, so please reach out to us at AspiringSnob at gmail.com and 
you know, again, we've already given you so much. An hour of content. An hour to get you through your commute or work day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe cooking time. Uh, just So pay us back a little bit. Go to your podcast service of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitchers, Spotify. Those are the big ones that we want. Please mm-hmm. go to those ones. Forget forget the other ones, the little ones that I won't mention here. But <laughs> the garbage ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go to the big ones. Click on that five-star review. Say, hey, these guys are great. You don't have to mean it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> But it'll help more people find the show, and uh, we'll create a little community of fans here. Mm-hmm. And how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should start our own little 50s stand-up set, Sean. <laughs> we should just repeat uh, who's on first. Or... <laughs> well, that is actually kind of part of the show, is uh, one of the uh, big reveals is that Dave actually doesn't do his own original material. He's like, no, that's how all good stand-ups start out. They steal other, they take other material and put their own spin on it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, that's what I was going to explain. I think I've I've talked about this book before, The Comedians, which mm. is like this big tome on the the history of stand up comedy. And yeah, that's what it was until about the fifties. And Lenny Bruce did share the paradigm by not only writing his material but also making it personal to his own life, mm-hmm. and um, ad- adding in some obscenities in there as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, before that, it was. It, you could be a stand-up comedian just by buying a joke book and delivering the jokes the best. So that that was the case up until about the 40s and 50s. So, so maybe I'm not giving Miss Maisel enough credit. Hmm. Maybe maybe I'm maybe. Well, I'm... yeah. This obviously this fictional woman has has shifted the paradigm uh, about 20 years in the future. So good there for you her. Go. You're not giving her enough fictional credit. All right. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry, Miss Maisel. You're not a bad mom. <laughs> A strong, independent businesswoman. <laughs> of course. Speaking of which, we will not be looking about another movie about a strong, independent businesswoman because none existed uh, past uh, the year 1994. You know so. what? We should watch. We should watch another movie about a male protagonist. There's not enough movies yes. about men out there. Exactly. What about the men, John? <laughs> Can it be a white man? I mean, come on. <laughs> I relate to that. I think there should also be a black sidekick, if you ask me. Okay. In fact, I know one such movie um, that also received Oscar accolades back in the early 90s. I'm talking about Unforgiven, y'all. Mm-hmm. And how. But that's yes. not what we're watching next week. <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> what are we watching next week, John? Raging Bull. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so forget everything I said about a black sidekick. Martin <laughs> um, <laughs> Scorsese's yes. black characters don't act that long. They don't last that long. Um <laughs> One thing they do do is beat up Jake LaMotta, and that's what we'll see in <laughs> the movie we're watching next week, Raging Bull. Yes. <laughs> After that, we'll be watching Unforgiven. So, oh, you get Got you it. get two for the price of one. Look at us. Ah, Extra yeah. teases. And, and we're not doing a double bill, just because I revealed what it is. We're not watching two <laughs> movies this week. So No, no, no. But at least now we won't have to, If in case we forget to tell people what we're watching next week, then we won't feel so bad about it. So Yes. Guys, we don't have oh, a we never strict schedule, all right? Yes, these these no. these episodes are very rigidly formatted, but you know we we keep it loose, okay? Keep it loosey goosey, baby. Mm-hmm. Hamper. <laughs> On that note, John, that yes. you know, I'm gonna find where the hell that came from. Hamburger. <laughs> I thought I saw it as a meme somewhere. I thought I thought I thought I saw it on Twitter, and I was like, oh, that's no, where it comes from. And I assumed you knew where it's, it came from. No, it's from the early '90s or something. It's, oh, okay. It could be, it would it be good burger? I don't know because yeah, adults yeah. do it. So they yeah <laughs> they weren't watching Keenan and Kel back in the day. <laughs> whatever. Tune in next week when we figure out the the origins of that particular meme or, or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes. So look forward to that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Until next time. <laughs> keep keep aspiring, you old crackers. <laughs> That's racist. That was racist. I, I don't know. I, I wanted to imitate Miss Maisel, even though I haven't watched a second of that show. <laughs> what does she sound like? Eh, nasally. <laughs> eh, all right. Close enough. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.